unbeknownst to anyone, back in, I would say, I think it was 2013, I started an anonymous Twitter account called What I Do All Day. And the very first tweet was crossword. And then I started to tweet about about things in my life. And I started to see patterns develop. I was tweeting about my book club. I was tweeting about reality shows. I was tweeting about the non-writing life. And I started to see these patterns and I started to write short stories. So I wrote a short story about a book club that has a more sinister reason for recruiting a member. And I wrote about uh, a reality show that a washed up writer goes on. Because you never see Stephen King on Dancing with the Stars. I would enjoy such a thing. I would enjoy seeing Ann Patchett do the Mambo. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. We love when a book allows us to see ourselves in nearly every page, when we laugh out loud while also diving into the depths of the truth. Our guest today has written a book of humorous and insightful essays. It's a triumph for sure, and we can't wait to dive in and talk with Helen Ellis about Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge. I am Patty Callahan Henry. And I am Christy Woodson Harvey. Helen Ellis is the author of Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge, Bring Your Baggage and Don't Pack Light, Southern Lady Code, American Housewife, and Eating the Cheshire Cat. Raised in Alabama, she lives with her husband in New York City. She is a poker player, which we can't wait to talk about, and a plant lady. You can find her on Twitter at What I Do All Day and Instagram at American Housewife. Known for her funny and unfiltered humor, Helen is unapologetic and Southern to the core. And from personal experience, she is also overflowing with deep empathy and true grit. I adore her. Mm-hmm. Helen, welcome to the Friends in Fiction podcast. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so used to seeing you, Patty, on our virtual porch. I know. While we talk <laughs> about all that might be wrong or right about the publishing world and our writing. <laughs> It's true. And I think to myself, as I'm looking at you on the screen, um, while I was writing Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge, I was talking about things in the book to you and the virtual porch, and they just wound up in the book. So anything in the book is just something I would tell my friends. <laughs> well, I noticed that. I noticed that it it's, feels like and Christy and I talked about this. It feels like you're just telling a story to a friend. So <laughs> first things first, tell us about Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge. And then in true friends in fiction fashion, can you tell us what you think it's really about? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll tell you about Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge. Again, during the pandemic, we all had certain Zoom friendship groups. And Patty, you were part of what we call the virtual 
porch, which was me and a bunch of historical and thriller writers who every time we met would say, I'm writing 5,000 words a day. And I would say, I'm writing 500 words a day. (laughs) Um, And I remember during the height of the pandemic, I was trying to figure out what I was going to write about. Am I going to write a novel? And I would ask you ladies, how do you do it? And then I kept talking about what I was doing during the pandemic, quote unquote, um, baking banana bread, which meant hand selling Viagra. And, uh, and I decided, oh, I might as well just write about this, which is, you know, sort of rediscovering our very happy marriage uh, between these four walls in New York City and this old apartment with two old, old, old cats. So I think Kiss Me on the Coral Lounge is about happy marriage and a long marriage and, um, you know, good times in good times and good times and bad times. How does Mm -hmm. that sound? I just made it up. How does that sound? It's exactly (laughs) what I feel like it's about. Exactly. And I love it so much because I think, you know, as a lot of what we read and, and honestly, a lot of what I write, I mean, I try to like balance this a little bit, but I think we do see a lot of glorification of the beginning part of a relationship. You know, we more maybe than we see like the parts that kind of get sweeter when they've been around for a long, long time. And so I love that you write about that. And in such a humorous way, obviously my husband (laughs) and the snoring, I was like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. I feel that. I feel that really deep in my soul. (laughs) Um, But um, Helen, your first novel, Eating the Cheshire Cat released in 2001. And I'm not telling anything that you have not told, but there was a little bit of a lull after that. You sort of like burst onto the scene with this, you know, big novel and everything was going great. And, you know, we on the screen know that the writing world can be very difficult. But sometimes I think when people are looking from the outside in and they're seeing Helen Ellis and all these successful books that you have, that it might just seem like it happened that way overnight. So can you tell us a little bit about this transition you made from fiction to nonfiction well, and I will tell you, yeah. <laughs> let, me tell, let me just stop you right there. Because okay, okay. I, the fa- my favorite thing you just said is you had a lull. And, <laughs> you know, I have a book called Southern Lady Code. And in my opinion, Southern Lady Code is when you don't have something nice to say, you say something not so nice <laughs> in a nice way. So you very nicely said you had a lull, which is Southern Lady Code for 15 years of utter failure. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll tell you about my little, uh, I was 29 when the first book was published and it went exactly true to course as, as publishing used to be. I went to graduate school. I started a novel. I finished the novel while I was a secretary and, uh, there was a bidding war and it published and it was called Ian the Cheshire Cat. And every year around this time, it has a little bit of a resurgence because, if you really want to know about Bama Rush, <laughs> read Eating the Cheshire Cat, because <laughs> it's about what drives two women to murder the University of Alabama homecoming queen. Um, and I thought, well, I'll just write another one. So I wrote another novel about a serial, <clears throat> a serial killer poker player, and nobody would publish it. And I thought, okay, well, I'll write another novel about a mountain brook. <laughs> um family that lives in a neighborhood with a witch in the 1950s who gives everyone herpes. And believe it or not, no one would publish it. And then I wrote another novel about a 
19th century prostitute who had a 20-foot albino alligator in her backyard, and no one would publish it. Um, <laughs> can you believe it? I just, and <laughs> and <laughs> I quit writing. So I just quit. For years, I quit writing. Uh, and the thing that nobody tells you about when you quit is nobody cares. Uh, mm. And so for years, I would meet people and they would say, what do you do? And after, you know, 15 years of not publishing, I stopped saying writer, because if you say I'm a writer, the next question is, what do you write? Mm -hmm. And it was well out of print. And I didn't want to talk about that kind of failure. So I started to say the truth, which was I'm a housewife. Uh, because somewhere in all of that, my husband had the bright idea of maybe if you quit your job and I support you and you just write a book, uh, that would be successful. It, it was not. <laughs> um, so I would say housewife. And if there was another question, and there usually isn't another question if you say housewife, that just shuts the <laughs> conversation down, which I enjoy. Um, if you say I'm a housewife, the next question will be, what do you do all day? Yep. And unbeknownst to anyone, back in, I would say, I think it was 2013, I started an anonymous Twitter account called What I Do All Day. And the very first tweet was crossword. And then I started to tweet about, about things in my life. And I started to see patterns develop. I was tweeting about my book club. I was tweeting about reality shows. I was tweeting about the non-writing life. And I started to see these patterns and I started to write short stories. So I wrote a short story about a book club that has a more sinister reason for recruiting a member. And I wrote about uh, a reality show that a washed up writer goes on. And because you never see Stephen King on Dancing with the Stars. I would no. enjoy such a thing. I would enjoy seeing Ann Patchett do mm -hmm. the mambo. Yeah, <laughs> um, I agree. That'd be great. Or do the uh, voice. Or, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Or, or dumpster dive. Or uh, Survivor. Car oh, could you die? I could never go on Survivor because mm -hmm. I'd be I need too the much, first day. I, I need too much sunscreen mm -hmm. and I uh, would not want to go gray, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. on the island. And uh, yeah, no, I couldn't do it. But I started to write short stories. And I started to submit them like you used to do in graduate school to literary magazines. And nobody knew who I was because people running the lit magazines were college students and they didn't know who I was 15 years ago. And I didn't tell them who I was. Um, and those stories started to get pulled out of the slush. And as soon as one would get published, I would write another and I would submit it. And I would submit it to 20, 30 places at a time because that's the gambler in me. I had many spreadsheets and Eventually, all of them got published. Oh, and amazing. a wow. friend who was an agent said, why don't I submit it as a collection? They all are about housewives kind of gone rogue. Write what you know. I <laughs> she submitted it. And again, people wanted it. And I just sat ass backwards into a short story collection. Uh, Doubleday published me. And then uh, I wrote a nonfiction piece about how I became a recovering slob to save my marriage that went viral for modern love. And Doubleday said, why don't you write some 
essays. And I said, sure, I can do that. I had never done that. And um, again, just sort of bluffed my way into an essay collection and then, it, and then did it two more times. So that is how I am sitting here with you today. Um, just utter failure and writing what I know. <laughs> okay. So I totally love that. But here's my big question that is like running through my mind. Oh. Would you ever pull some of those novels out again? Like, Absolutely. I feel like, I, I, <laughs> no, okay, well, I, I'm listening to them and I almost feel like the world just wasn't ready, but like maybe they are now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. First of all, they're all on floppy disk. Oh, well, <laughs> oh my goodness. Tricky. Um, I don't know. I can't imagine. I can't, I, I really feel like they weren't published because they probably were not any good. Um, but, uh, no, I'm I think the world I, is ready for a prostitute with an albino alligator. Now I really do. I feel like the world needs that. I had, I will tell you, I had, a, I, I met a New York, somebody's New York grandfather years ago. What's your novel about? And I said, it's about a 19th century Mississippi prostitute. And he looked me in the face and said, what do you know? about Mississippi. <laughs> I, thought, I, I know everything. Oh, but I surely know about prostitution in the 19th century. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I, that's a big part. I'm not someone who wants to go back. Like I, I just okay. am not oh, someone like who that. wants to go back. You know, people say, would you ever uh, turn your books into a, a TV show or something like that? And I don't want to go back. Somebody else can do that, but I don't want to go back. Oh, I love that looking forward thing mm -hmm. because the only thing we can do in our writing is go to the next thing and the next thing. We yeah. can't. And There's it feels so despairing to go backwards and try and fix or write or pull it back out. I just, I love that forward. And you're in and a I different place. You know, yeah, I, and I, everything I, you did led to what you're doing now, but that doesn't mean everything you did should be published. It just that is correct. That, that is correct. Because all that failure made me not fear failure. Because what's mm. the worst thing that's going to happen after this book? I'm not going to publish another book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what there. is the? I've been there and done that, and life is just fine. Uh, very delightful. But uh, I would never have been dishonest or written about things that I write about in my twenties, thirties you know, that I do now in my late 50s, in my early 50s, um, you know, you just kind of lose that uh, shame factor. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know if you ever had it, but let's yeah. get to your, let's get to your book we have now. I, w I would tell you, but I wouldn't tell the world. <laughs> okay. We'll turn the microphones off later. All right. So we have to get to the Coral Lounge because I love where the title came from. Oh. And the other listeners can't see you right now, but you're sitting in the coral lounge and I can see your coral walls, which you said you just repainted. We just repainted the same color. <laughs> so tell us about the coral lounge that's in the title and what that space means and represents for you and your husband. So in 2015, we, we gave the apartment. We live in four rooms. We live in a two bedroom, you know, square apartment in New York City. Uh, you know, two bedrooms, a living room slash dining room and a kitchen. So four rooms in a square. 
And in 2015, we gave it a little bit of a facelift. Uh, my husband was born in this apartment. So, what? you know, yes, he was born in this apartment. So every door is about two inches off the floor from the shag carpeting in the 70s that used to be here. Um, and, uh, and you know, you just see years and years of paint. And uh, we wanted to sort of give it our own flair. And by our own flair, I mean my flair. Uh, so, um, so we just gave it a, a nice refresher. We put flamingo wallpaper in the entryway, you know, to remind us of flamingos on the lawn in the South. Um, we put, you know, Dorothy Draper banana wallpaper, banana leaf wallpaper in the bathrooms. You know, we just had a, a good time. It's sort of mid-century with a, a few surprises. And it was at that point in night in 2015, we were both 45 and we decided to change the two bedroom into a two living room apartment because we do not have children. And at 45, we decided, well, that's not in the cards for us. And we also decided that house guests are not in the cards for us. <laughs> so we got rid of all of the sleeper sofas and we became a, a two living room household. And this is um, the Coral Lounge. We painted it a very bright coral, kind of like starburst. It's what I think it looks like. Uh, the name for it at Sharon Williams is Rejuvenate. And it's our TV room, you know, basically. Uh, and it's, but it's where we ended up living for the most part during COVID because my husband uh, is a newsman and everyone was at home. And so he was running uh, CBS digital out of our living room. And so we would eat meals in this, in the Coral Lounge. We would watch TV in the Coral Lounge. We would, you know, Everything happened, everything, everything, <laughs> and here, <laughs> and which is one of the reasons we needed a, a new coat of paint on the walls. That's I'm regretting not painting it pink. Should I have changed it? Uh, no, <laughs> it's me like in the, the pink lounge. Does not have that. Sounds vibe. dirty. <laughs> no, it's just it, it. It's not as evocative. Kiss me in the coral lounge. Is like I gotta read that. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, so I love the chapter about knowing what kind of couple you are not. And I think um, especially, like, as I get older, I realize how, like, maybe naive I, <laughs> I am about the world and what goes on in it. So anyway, I love knowing about what kind of couple you're not. And I closed the book and thought about my marriage and how, you know, we are this or we're not that and how knowing what we are not is as important as knowing what we are. So yes. talk about that, about living, you know, not as others want you to, but about making the best decision for the kind of couple you are. Just last night, my husband said, we are not that couple. And he was referring to, I am in full-blown menopause at the moment. And so I go to sleep. I am... <laughs> And I am now sampling every kind of cold pillow, ice pack, you know, for the night. And so I have a new, you know, chillo that I've gotten off of Etsy. And I come to bed with it like a fat snake and <laughs> a fat cold bed snake. And I'm coming in the bedroom and I approach him to put the ice cold pillow on him. And he says, no, Helen, we are not that couple. But, you know, that surprise each other with cold things. We don't splash each other in the pool. I'm like, you're right. You're right. Um, so. So uh, we are not that couple comes from you know, discovering what kind of couple you are because we've been together 28 years and you try things like we took a tennis lesson 
And when I say that we took a tennis lesson, I mean a tennis lesson. <laughs> when one of you barks, you don't go back. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> you know, we tried swing, swing dancing in the 90s. And, you know, that was fine, but we didn't want to go to the intermediate level. And, you know, we're also, you know, we're not, people tell me this all the time now. So I have a friend, uh, John McDougall, who runs the events at Murder by the Books. He texts me, he and his husband were just in Provincetown. And he texts me, we are not that couple that rent bicycles and go for a nature ride. <laughs> and you discover it after you do it. You know, my parents always said, you know, that sounds like a whale watch to me when it comes to something you think is a good idea, but isn't a good idea because they went on one whale watch and they would never do it again. So, um, yeah, marriage is about finding out what kind of couple you're not. What kind of couple are you two not? We are not the kind of couple that um, does sports together in <laughs> any way. We are not the kind of couple that dress in matching Halloween costumes. That's a good one. How about you, Christy? Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Um, this is terrible because all the things that are coming to mind are not appropriate for the podcast because that's oh. what we're talking about. Because we can like, realize, like, oh, all these groups of people are doing these things that I'm like, swinging. oh, my God, you're not that kind of couple. You're not the couple that puts an upside down pineapple on your door? No. There are no upside down, no. down pineapples. No, 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 absolutely not. So isn't that terrible that that's the first thing that I thought of? Um, no, that's true. good. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Also informative. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Patty, I know you and Pat were considering. Yeah, I know. At least now I have a guidepost. You. Asking so. us. Yeah. So I'm glad now you just <laughs> This has really just gone off in a bad direction. <laughs> I think it's a good direction. You started it with the Viagra. So I sure did. I, I restarted it. I want to skip a little bit to your history. So you were born in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is about... I was born. I have to tell you, I was raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I was born nice. in Alaska. Can you imagine? To Sioux Southerners. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. My father was in the Army, and my mother had gone off and become a teacher in the 60s uh, in Alaska because that's where they needed teachers and they met they met up there at the library can you believe it um oh yeah but my father is a is an alabamian and my mother is a mississippian uh the roots run back a long long way yeah so two oh, southern wow. parents raised in tuscaloosa <laughs> right about an hour down the road for me yes um, and the rival of my alum um <gasps> roll tide war eagle <laughs> <laughs> that we are not that oh, kind of couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, by 22 years old, you knew you wanted to be a writer. You'd left home to go to New York and to be, in your words, a famous writer, which, by the way, you've become. So this writing thing has been deep in your bones for all of your life. I want to talk about that because I want to know what you think of this. Are writers born or made? And how do we keep that flame alive in a world that wants us to snuff it out? That's a really good question. And I can't believe I haven't been asked that before. And I will tell you my instinctive reaction is we are born. I think you can, I think you can teach someone how to write well. I think if someone wants to write a book, 
they can do it. But I am also a poker player. And I think of writing and poker as an addiction, you know, or a compulsion, or uh, maybe a compulsion is the right better word. Um, I have always been a writer. Um, Even when I wasn't writing, I knew I was a writer. Even when I was telling myself I wasn't, I knew I was because you're always thinking about it. And even right now, I, you know, the new book is out. And I don't know what I'm going to write next, but I'm thinking about it constantly. And uh, it's a cure for what ails me. If I am depressed or frustrated or uh, those those two words are good enough. The only thing that makes me feel better is sitting down for an hour or two, even if nothing comes out. It's the practice. Um, It's a practice. Uh, I, 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 maybe it's how people who work out feel. (laughs) I wouldn't know. (laughs) I wouldn't know. Um, um, but even now lately, you know, I, I have a, a mantra that I developed when I started writing Southern Lady Code, which was different book, different practice. Uh, and all the books have been written differently. You know, I started out writing, the novel and the following novels that were never published in this traditional way of you get up at five o'clock in the morning and you write 1500 words as per Stephen King. And then after a year you have a book, but it didn't work for three books. And what got me my writing life back with the short stories was tweeting 150 characters a day and figuring out sort of a puzzle. Um, And when it came to Southern Lady Code writing nonfiction, I'd never done that before. And I had to figure out the rules or make the rules for that. Um, and then I got better at, at, at being able to do that with the subsequent books. And now I'm thinking, oh, I want to write a big fat novel. How do I do that? And I talked to, you know, at Patty, we've talked about it in on our virtual porch. And everyone's given me different ideas. Uh, and I think, what am I going to do? But uh, this all stems back to I don't exercise. So the new... <laughs> practice for this book is taking a walk around the Central Park Reservoir and trying to sort of think about things and uh, and and come up with ideas that way. We'll see if it works. Um, but no, I think you're you're born a writer uh, because it really it's just it's it's a comp- it's a compulsion. Is that the right word? Would you it's say a, it's a lifeblood? It's like it's, it's a lifeblood. That's right. Good. There's nothing you can do about it. And I love when writers and we've watched it a few times with people we know said I'm retiring mm-hmm. and we're like sure uh-huh. okay yeah yeah I'm not <laughs> you, you, you can quit publishing but you're still a writer <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you're still I haven't been to a catholic church in about 30 years but I'm still catholic yeah, yeah. yeah I in- haven't lived in the south in 30 years but I'm still southern exactly exactly mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's like some real truth in that because people always say like, oh, but you can learn art. I'm like, no, I cannot learn art, period. (laughs) I am never going to be a painter. I'm always going to be terrible at it. It doesn't matter how many classes I take. I'm always going to be really bad. It just, it is what it is. There's, there's just nothing I can do about it. I took a Um, calligraphy class this year thinking, oh, that's art and writing. Oh, that's perfect match for me. I quit after two. two lessons. (laughs) And I I, I thought this is, I thought this was going to be one thing. It is not. Uh, So I understand that. But yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know, and this kind of relates back to the Coral Lounge in particular, for everyone who's out there listening and for us on the screen, 
What's the secret to being madly in love for 30 years? Oh my God. What is the secret to being madly in love? I think it's changing the rules. I think that's what it is. You know, you always hear marriage is work, but it's not. Marriage is play. But you can oh, change, yes, you can change, you, it's your team, you can change the rules, you know, like you would change the rules, uh, you know, playing kickball when you were kids, and here are the bases, and, and here's, you know, where you can't run, and, and here's how we're going to pitch, you know, uh, and we actually have a, a little um, chalkboard that we change our marriage mantra all the time, and um, we just, I just changed it this week, uh, to new routines. That's the, that's what I've, I've written down. You know, we're both, you know, 52 and let's just try different things, whether that's go, whether that's going to watch a softball league playoff in the park on Sunday morning, or whether it's, um, you know, trying a new food or whether it's as we did at the start of the pandemic, get a prescription to Viagra. (laughs) You know, you have to try new things. Um, so it's just try new things. And, and, uh, that's the secret in my opinion. (laughs) I love it. That's a good one. Yeah. We get in a rut. We do the same things the same way because they've worked. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing, you know, you're bored and that is a death knell. So trying new things, maybe saying this couple, we think we're not, maybe we are, let's try it. Nope. We're nope, not. we're not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nope, we're not. Okay, so your motto, you've said numerous times, and I love it, is be funny, be honest, be kind. Mm-hmm. So how... That's a good you, marriage motto, too, I think. It is. Yes, yeah. 100%. Be yep. funny, be honest, be kind. Yeah. How do you implement that motto kind of on a daily basis more than a sweeping, sweeping way? Oh, um, that's a good question too. I just do those things, Patty. <laughs> you, <laughs> you do. Just, I, I mean, honestly, just things. by being here talking to us, yeah. by the way you answer questions, by the way you live your life, you are being funny and honest and kind, right? Mm-hmm. There's not everyone's funny. It's kind of like being an artist. Like you're, I don't know that. That's true. I think you're born funny. I think that's true. Either you're funny or you're not. Like my son yeah. is hilarious. He has like the driest wit and he's been like that since he was like two years old. Like he yeah. didn't learn that. I mean, he's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true. I think it. it's my, it's my writing mantra too. You know, um, I read a lot of essay collections. I think when you hear that term essay collection, you think, something snooty or boring or academic. Um, but you think of David Sedaris, you think of Ann Patchett, you think of Nora Ephron, and they're all, I think, funny and honest and kind. Um, you know, especially with David Sedaris, you just know every member of his family, even when, and even in the last collection, was it Calypso? Was that the last collection where he talked about his sister's suicide and depression and his father's death, you know, death? He, as he gets older, he gets more honest, but I still feel like he is very, and he's always funny, but I do think he is very kind. Um, and when it comes to my writing, you don't have to tell it all. You know, I, mm. I can write about a lot of very dark things, but I don't want to. <laughs> you know, you, you two know, you live with the material, um, and I don't want to. It's like goes back to going back to old novels. 
I don't want to go back to that place of failure or unhappiness. You know, I will tell you the truth in my essay collections, but usually it's just one sentence. You know, I will tell you one sentence of something dark and you can imagine the rest, but it's, you know, all wrapped up in, in some laughs. So, you know, I'm not holding back on you, but I'm not showing you. All the, cards. All, the All the cards. All the cards. Yeah. I'm, show, I'm, showing, I'm showing you the ace of spades. <laughs> there you go. All right. We could talk to you forever, but I want to do this before we, before we end. Um, and before I remind everyone, everything that you will read in this book is as warm and funny and honest and humorous as listening to Helen. So grab Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge. But you are also known, like you said, you've lived in New York for 30 years, but you're still yeah. Southern to the core. And I was just with my local Alabama booksmith and we were having a Helen Love Shake. Fest. Yes, <laughs> I was with him on Saturday and we were having a Helen Love Fest. But you're known for your wise Southern advice as evident in Southern Lady Code. So I would love to end with a few quick um, rapid fire Southern questions that are pure Southern. You ready? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Off the cuff, baby. <laughs> All right. Your favorite Southern tradition. Oh, my favorite, favorite Southern tradition. <clears throat> I mean, I have to say Alabama football. <laughs> I love it. I think it's, it's awesome. And I'll tell you the tradition. You're like, every year I get my Lily Pulitzer jumbo desk agenda and I go through, you know, the, the schedule, Alabama football schedule and I write in all the games and what time they will be on Eastern time. And then I watch the kickoff and a few minutes and I'm done. I'm going to, I'm done. <laughs> I just like being part of the celebration and having it on my, you know, to do roster, but I'm not as obsessed as the rest of the family. Well, that you quit watching because sadly for us at Auburn, you know you're going to win. So, doesn't it get boring winning all the time? No. <laughs> Are you tired of winning? Never, no. See, if you go to UNC, you never take winning a football game for granted. It's very exciting every time it happens. But it's still so fun. It like gets me through my end of summer depression is knowing that like, We'll be in Chapel Hill for football games and it'll be beautiful. Yes. Okay. I, I'm ending your rapid fire by talking. Okay. What is your favorite Southern saying? Um, I am not going to say bless your heart because I don't care for that. <laughs> I'm going to say my favorite Southern saying is we've met, <laughs> which oh. I, which do you know what that means? If I say mm -hmm. we've met, <laughs> mm -hmm. it means, uh, <laughs> we meant you were horrible to me, but you don't remember because you're horrible to everyone. <laughs> That's what I said. Oh, we've met. Oh my gosh. I've done that. And I didn't even realize that. Oh my gosh. It's so true. Okay. Your favorite Southern place. My favorite Southern place. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I was going to say it's one of the places I'm going this week. I'm going mm. to, I'm going to go a roundabout way to say I'm going to the Beau Rivage Casino in Biloxi. Um, and my father and I went there for 20 years, twice a year to play poker. And uh, I am going because I am going to the Jackson, Mississippi Book Festival, um, the best festival out there on 
Saturday, but before that, I'm going to Pass Christian. Is that how, how do you say it? Pass yeah, Christian. Pass Christian. Um, and for the first time, and they sold me on it. They said, oh, it's like 20 minutes from the Beau Rivage. And so I'm going to stay in the Beau Rivage for three days, and then I'm going to these two book events. <laughs> so, so I'm going to the casino uh, where they have a great poker room and uh, a good spa and nice rooms, and, and it's on the beach, and it's one of my favorite places. I love that. Okay, what's your favorite Southern food? Pimento cheese. Yes. I wrote an ode to pimento cheese for gardening gun recently. Um, I love pimento cheese. And again, some of the best pimento cheese I ever had is at the Mississippi Book Festival <laughs> in Jackson. Um, yeah, pimento cheese. You can go wrong with it many ways. And usually the wrong way is to put too much stuff in it. Uh, I yeah. love pimento cheese. And you cannot, good, you cannot buy good pimento cheese in New York. I have to make it. And I've made it at many an event here at my house. And people do not know what it is. Like, you put it no, on a Ritz. People put do it on not. A Ritz. And when you describe what it is, people go, oh. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. And the secret ingredient in everything is mayonnaise. <laughs> it's not love. <laughs> Just probably why they go, oh. <laughs> if the secret ingredient was love, my cooking wouldn't stink so bad. <laughs> right, exactly. Money Which is. it does, by the way. All right, last one and really hard to answer. And I don't think I could. Your favorite Southern book. Oh, my favorite Southern book. You think I'd be able to do that off the top of my I know. Head. I don't know if I could. I could do it. I could do it. I, could I do believe it. I in you. It. I could do it. I could do it. Let me think about it. Um, we're going to have a whole edited out section. I'm going to say it very quickly and it's going to make me sound smart. I will tell you my favorite sort of book right now that's on the tip of my tongue is Ann Patchett's Tom Lake. Um, you know, just because she's a Southern writer and, uh, this book is her best. Um, but, and I'm just in love with it, but let me think. I can find someone else. I, I go to your door. Yeah, I haven't heard I, of that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, stop it. I know. Let me go back to, I'll go back to um, uh, Eudora Wealthy. Again, mm. I'm just in this Mississippi mood. And I every time I go to the festival, I go visit her house. And I look at her pink fuzzy slippers and her perfume and all the crazy weird books she has in her house. Um and, and her I garden, a, it's so pretty. Yes, and her I've been garden. There. Yeah. And I have such memory of my grandpapa reading me why we live at the PO. Uh, so I'm going to go for Eudora Weldy short stories. How about that? I love Perfect. it. <laughs> Helen, thank you so much for joining us. We adore talking to you. And to all of you listening, thank you for joining us. I know you'll want to grab a copy of Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge at our Friends and Fiction Bookshop.org page, helping indies and saving a little money. So, Helen, thank you so much. Thank you so much, ladies. It was a dream. It was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Helen. I loved meeting you. It was so fun. Me too. I love looking out your window at the beautiful Uh, trees. Thank you. you Both of you have beautiful trees outside your window. I have a bus. A little Alabama for you. I love it. So thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening this week and every week. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell a friend and tune in next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode.
And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.